Well, good morning, Kingswood. Good morning. Good to see you. I plan to preach through all of this this morning before we leave. So, They said it's your last shot, Prez. Just give it. Just go for it, right? So, uh, no, they gave me 25 minutes, so we'll do the best we can with that. Uh, thank That'll work. Yep. And there's markers back here. Perfect. Okay, who's the most trustworthy person on campus? I mean, if there's anybody, hi Ryan. Who's the most trustworthy person on campus? Like, you're like, there's no way possible. This person would not cheat, they would not collude. We have all confidence, who's that? Where's John Bartlett? Murray, it was a tie, it was close, but okay. All right, John, don't, don't open this, don't open this, right there. Don't open it, right? Uh, the, it, it, I love how God works. And, and Pastor Steve, I stole your notes. When, I don't know if you noticed when he walked off with his prayer, I took it from him. Uh, I fully planned to preach on John 13 this morning. Thank you for the wonderful demonstration. I now realize why I'm not going to preach on John 13, because you did. And thank you very much, Caleb, uh, for the way in the reading, the way you guys walked us through that. Uh, blessed are you if you do what I taught you to do. That is to lead like servants. So that's been done. Before 4 o'clock this morning, God woke me up and just kind of put a word in my heart. And the word was boldness. And four different times, I don't know if you listened to Dr. Elliot as he, as he prayed over you, the word he prayed for you was boldness. Boldness. So let me do something real quick with you before I forget here. My age, I better do it when I remember it. And uh, let's see if we can do this. Not yet. Let me write and then I can turn it. I'm getting orders from headquarters over here, sorry. Uh, you can see I'm an art major, right? There you go. All right, uh, I will try to turn it so you can see it, hither and yon. Everybody over here okay? We have four columns. Under each column, there are four numbers, right? We're good with that so far? So now, Marie, you can help us. You gotta start us out, and if you get us started off wrong, we're in big trouble. Before this demonstration is over, well, you'll see. All right, so would you identify two of these columns for me? A and C. A and C? You sure? All right, A and C it will be. A and C. Now I have two columns left, and okay, right up front, so uh, how about you help me out? Uh, of A and C, select one of those for me. Okay. C. Sure? I couldn't talk you out of that one. All right, we'll go with C then. All right, now I need some help. Where are the guys? Shane, you were trustworthy. I saw that volunteer. I love that thing. So you got four numbers here. You got C9, C10, C11, C12. Uh, just call out two of those for me. C10 and C12. All right, I'll go with that then. C10 and C12. All right, I've only got two numbers left. And where is Eileen Gable? She didn't come to chapel today. <laughs> She's downstairs working. No, no, no fears at all. Uh, Miss Carley, everyone knows that they can trust you. So there's two numbers left. There's 10 and 12. Just call it one of those as loud as you can. 
I was so close. All right, John, would you stand up for us and read what you have on your piece of paper? Curly, it worked. Good job. Now, it doesn't always go quite that smoothly, but most times it does. And uh, here's, here's the secret, because you're all going to go home and do this, or if you're running vacation Bible school this summer, or you're doing youth group, I want you to remember how to do this, okay? So if you remember nothing else from your whole semester, remember this. It'll come in handy at parties, right? I never asked you whether I should keep it or get rid of it. I simply said identify, call out, just say now, it just worked out this time. It doesn't always. It worked out this time. Every time you said, and I kept. But if you'd said uh, B and D, then I would have erased B and D and kept A and C. And if I had said, I would have, because here's the deal. There was only one person in the room who knew where they were going. And because I knew where I was going, I knew what to say yes to. And I knew what to say no to. And the reason so many people in this room don't make good decisions is you don't yet know what God's called you to do. And that's not a bad thing today. But my call to you is to discover that. It's to pursue that. What is God asking me to do? And I don't mean what city I'm going to be in and what job description. I just... God, what are you calling me to be as a person? What are you calling me? How have you wired me up? How have you gifted me? What is it you want me to do? What's going to be my unique contribution in the world? Because God has something special for you. And when you discover it, you will lead boldly. There'll be the sense of confidence that God has for this time, for such a time as this. Esther had that experience, right? For such a time as this, Mordecai said, you've been raised up for such a time as this. There has never been a more needy, time there's never been a time that's been darker there's never been a time when the when the opportunities are so great you live in a hinge pin moment of history i've never seen so many opportunities you can spread the gospel you literally could sit on your computer tonight and have a conversation with somebody in saudi arabia and share the gospel with them meanwhile somebody in saudi arabia will die for sharing their faith there's opportunity and there's opposition. There, it's never been an hour like this. I read recently that if not today, soon, there'll be more people alive in the world today, real time in your generation, than have lived for all of history. Did you see that? Of all the people who've ever lived, there will come a moment in your lifetime when there will be more people alive on the planet than have ever lived on the planet. Do you suppose God's preparing you uniquely for something, for such for such a time as this? And do you think it's something you can just kind of slide into the radar screen and get the job done, just kind of find the status quo, kind of go with the flow and it's gonna be okay? There's never been a time when it will call for more holy boldness than now. Now the good news is, that's what God's all about. The good news is God does that. I mean, it's a regular pattern from the Old Testament all the way through the New. Uh, you see the Spirit of God coming on people in the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God filling people in the New Testament. 
Now, I love one of the things about this campus is that we have diversity here. We've got people who are Calvinists, and we've got people who are Arminian. We've got people who are uh, probably a few cessationists. I'm not sure in the crowd. That's all right. And we've got some people who believe God does everything today exactly the way he did it in Acts chapter 2. And if he doesn't do it that way for you, you missed out on something. So I'm okay with that. Well, what I know is this. Every place where the Spirit of God encounters people and, and comes on them or fills them, regardless of what else happens, there is one word that's always found in that context, and that is the word boldness. So whether you speak in tongues or not, whether you heal people or not, whether you walk on water or not, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll have boldness, and you're going to need it. To do what God's going to call you to do in this generation, you're going to need exactly what Professor Elliot prayed for. You are going to need holy boldness. I've been working on a little project. Uh, some of you who've been around the office will know this because it's like it becomes this all-consuming thing. Uh, somewhere, I don't know if it was my bucket list or my to-do list, how this all worked out, but I had somewhere, you know, kind of percolating this idea, you've got to write a book. I had some friends who kept saying, you've got to write a book. And I was like, I have nothing to say. <laughs> when I think of something to say, I'll write a book, but I haven't thought of anything to say. And then I remembered actually something that had, uh, I had read that had stayed with me for a long time. Back when I was ordained, and that's been some time ago now, as you might imagine, I was given a copy of the Wesleyan Church's Discipline. In whatever denomination you're part of, there's probably some kind of a manual or some kind of guidebook that you receive. Well, in the Wesleyan Church's guidebook for pastors, there is a section called General Regulations for Ordained Ministers and Commissioned or Licensed Ministers. And all of us have it memorized. Not. Uh, but then there's this little section that says, Special Advice to Ministers. Let me read the preface. It says, John Wesley's Rules of a Helper have perhaps never been excelled as counsel to ministers, whether young or old. These rules are in part as follows. And 10 of the 12 rules are listed in our discipline. Can I tell you the two that are left out? One that's left out is pastors shouldn't spend too much time with single ladies. I think they actually should have included it in this version, but anyway, it's not in this edition of it. Another one was you should never marry without seeking the counsel and the advice and the permission, the blessing of brothers and sisters in your spiritual circle. So if you're in a band, you shouldn't date anybody unless you ask your band brothers if you should date them. If you're in a band of sisters, you shouldn't date anyone without first saying to your band of sisters, you know me, you prayed for me, you, you, you're in my face, you're in my life, should I date this person or not? Wesley said, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. Why wouldn't you have people who love you so much free to speak into your life about those important decisions? So I, I may, that may actually be an appendix. That may have to get included. Even though the Wesleyans didn't include it, I will. But so I've been working my way down through this. Now the good news is I'm over halfway through the, the 10. It's like, whew, I can see like there's, there's a finish line out there. It's September the 30th. I have to deliver it. The manuscript has to go to Wesley Press for a book called Lead Like Wesley, Becoming a Leader Worth Following. So I'm working my way through it. I get to six chapters and I'm just knocking it out. And then I get to the seventh chapter. And he says something interesting. It's the seventh rule. And let me read it for you. It says, be ashamed of nothing but sin. Let your industry, as well as your humility, commend itself to all. Now, uh, humility has just been referenced in, in, in the sixth rule where it says, avoid all expectation or don't, don't be a poser. I don't think Wesley said it exactly, but that's what he's trying. Don't be a poser. Avoid all expectation. A preacher of the gospel is a servant of all. What we just saw, John 13, a servant leader. But then he says, be ashamed of nothing but sin. And so as I'm going through this, I'm always trying to say, what's the key word? What's the, like, the nugget I've got to get out of this? What is it I'm going to work on? Because I, I try to, in each one of the chapters, go through, 
find what Wesley said. Then I go and look for examples in the life of Wesley. Like, what did he actually do? He said this, but what did he do? That matters more. What did he actually do? So I find that in his journals, and he wrote four volumes of journals. I mean, even before Aldersgate, before his heart strangely warmed, he began keeping minute records of his daily activities. He believed that was a measure of accountability to God, and it was a way to keep himself accountable. And eventually, he published his diary. Would you imagine if you published your diary? You might keep different records, I'm not sure, but if you had to put it on the press and publish it. But in this process, I'm looking to see what is it he did, what activities or what encounters did he have that reflected these rules. And then, of course, I'm looking to see what does modern research say about them? Does, does there, is there management research or leadership research today that validates them, or do they think, no, that was crazy, that doesn't make any sense? Well, the exciting thing for me has been they're timeless principles. I mean, they really deal with the heart of leadership, the very core, the essence of it. So I'm having fun with that. And then I'll go through and I'll try to think about some examples, people I've interacted with, uh, some situations I've been in, some leaders I've been able to follow who exemplified that in their life today and, and how they worked it out. So it's, it's been a great exercise. It's been a lot of fun. And I'm getting ready to go. Imagine, how many people feel sorry for me? I'm getting ready to go to Jamaica to teach this. I like, I am so pumped. This is going to be great. So the Caribbean General Conference invited me to come over. So I'm going to teach about how to lead like Wesley uh, with my brothers and sisters in the Caribbean. But I came to this last rule, uh, this one so far, number seven, and that is be ashamed of nothing but sin. I said, well, what's the essence of that? Be ashamed of nothing but sin. Well, the essence of it is this sense of being bold. Think about some verses that may pop to your mind, and you probably have others. If you're taking notes, just think about some that come to mind. For example, uh, in 1 John chapter 4, I think it's verse 8, perfect love Cast out all fear. So if you have no fear, you are bold. <laughs> I mean, if you've got nothing, you, you, I love these big pickup trucks, right? They have no fear on it, but they have to be home by curfew. I mean, that, that kind of stuff. Everybody's afraid of something. But if you have no fear, if before God your heart is clean, you have perfect love, then you can be bold. Proverbs says the righteous are as bold as Lions, some of you know that one. Righteous are as bold as lions. And again and again in Acts, when they're filled with the Spirit, it says they preach the Word of God boldly. So there's a sense of being bold. Now, uh, if you read Wesley's journals, and I, that's my homework assignment, so I've been working my way through it, I find uh, in his journals there was a period of years where about 30 different times he encounters mobs. I mean, these are people, in some cases, people who've been paid to come and try to break up the crowds where he's preaching out of doors. In one case, they drove a bull, I mean a real live snorting bull, through the crowd to try to break it up and disperse people to go away. Has anybody interrupted your sermon like that ever in, in expositional preaching in class? I don't, that hadn't happened yet, right? They commonly threw clods of dirt and rotten fruit and vegetables and, of course, rocks were their favorite thing, rocks. In fact, it got so bad uh, after like these 30-some, along the way somewhere, Wesley began to be very careful about where he'd choose to preach. He would find a place where there weren't very many rocks. <laughs> That's right. He'd look for a place where the field was almost picked clean of rocks, or he'd find some corner where the, 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 the road was all cobblestone, but they couldn't get the rocks up, and he'd try to preach there. It just got to be so crazy. There was actually one early Methodist uh, who was part of the movement, was a lay preacher, and he was hit by a rock, uh, had been beaten, was hit by a rock, and suffered uh, such a, a blow that he died a couple of days later. So literally martyred for his faith in, uh, you know, just a couple of hundred years ago in England. So boldness was, was a real question. It was something that, that, that he had to deal with every day. I love Wesley's response to dealing with the mob. Now imagine if everybody here all of a sudden stood up and started shouting at me, and I've got to figure out what do I do. I'm this, he, like he's five foot five. 
on a good day, right? He's not real big. So he's five foot five. Uh, he doesn't eat a whole lot. So he's about 140, 130 pounds, the best they can tell. Uh, he makes, you know, Mike look like he's, Professor McNeil's all pumped up on steroids or something when, you know, when you get with Wesley. So it's like, oh. And so here he is. And, and what does he do? This crowd of people are coming. And they're like a lynch mob, right? They, they would love to kill him. And I love what Wesley would do. Time and time again, he actually says in his notes, he says, uh, what I, when I'd done preaching, I, went, I would have gone out to them. It being my rule, confirmed by long experience, always to look a mob in the face. Well, let me ask you, do you face your fears or do you run from them? If you're ashamed of nothing but sin, you can face them. You can face that crowd. Wesley would do this. He would walk out. And he would uh, try to find the person who was the real instigator. Like, who's making the most noise? Who seems to be really leading the crowd here? Oh, and he'd reach out his hand. Did you see what Trevor just did? He reached out and shook my hand, didn't he? Wesley, this little guy, would walk right up to the biggest bully. I mean, he'd, he'd, the guys that would make Matt Pass look small. He'd walk right up to that guy, and he'd put his hand out. And surprise, common courtesy, I don't know what it was, but They'd put their hand out and shake hands with this little dude. And next thing you know, he's, he's telling them, God loves him. I love you. Can we talk? The Holy Spirit is so on his life that these people melt down. I mean, time and time again, there's stories of the person who was leading the mob coming to faith in Christ and turning around telling the rest of the crowd to shut up. <laughs> I mean, he had a boldness, a holy boldness. He'd say, well, I, you know, good, I'm glad you're all hyped up on Wesley, but I'm not a Wesleyan, so uh, it doesn't do him anything for me. Well, let, let's, uh, let's get your Bibles open. How about we do that? And if you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 14, I want to read one of the, my favorite passages. It's the passage that came to my heart again this morning early, and I just want to refresh your memory about it. Um, best thing to do, rather than talk about it, I'll read it, 1 Samuel 14. You can follow along. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man leading his armor, Come on, uh, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. He didn't have an RA checkout slip or something. I'm not sure how that all worked. And Saul was staying under the outskirts, so, so forth. But let's jump on down in the verse of the pass, verse 4. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. Now picture it, he's going through this narrow pass, like this gully, this gulch. So this is a dangerous spot. One was called Moses and the other Senna. And one cliff stood to the north of Michmash and the other to the south toward Geba. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. In verse 7, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then. We'll cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there till we come down to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. They hadn't been very bold, had they? Crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost said to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men. 
in about an area of a half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. And Saul's lookouts, they talk about what happens. They bring report back to Saul, and Saul can't figure out what's going on. And you come down to verse 20, it says Saul and his men assembled, and they went into battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. And the Hebrews, who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. And when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. You say, what's that all about? Well, to me, that's just a great picture of boldness, a great picture of what God can do for the person who will take that first step. Now, I, I just love people who take first steps of faith anyway. I, I had the wonderful experience of skydiving. Some of you have done that. Who else did I see here has been skydiving? Yes, there we go. A couple of us have been skydiving. Uh, I'll tell you, skydiving is easy until you take the first step. <laughs> you know, as long as you're in the plane, you're just up for a ride. There was a sign in the hangar that said, you don't have to go up, but you do have to come down. <laughs> and so it was like when you're there, and, and I remember getting out on the strut of the plane and the uh, instructor saying, okay, and he smiled at me, thumbs up, like, let go. And I'm like, I don't want to let go. <laughs> and they told you, you're not coming back in the plane because it's more dangerous for you to try to get back in because if your chute opens, you're half in, half out, you could take the whole plane down. So once you step out, once you take that first step and you're out, you're not coming back. And there's a certain point in all of our lives when we sense God pressing us into something. We're like, if I take this step, I'm never coming back. I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings, right? And, 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 and you see that, the, the, the most recent one, The Hobbit. There's like, everything will change. If you do this, everything will, nothing will ever be the same again. There are those moments in your life. For some of you, that was coming to Kingswood. For some of you, you had family members who said, you're crazy. How could you make a difference? You, you're thinking about being a pastor? You think you could be a missionary? What? And this was that step, the most recent one. It'll never be the last one, because as long as you live, you'll live by faith. But it was the first one. There were people who shook their head and said, I don't know what you're thinking, but you took that first step of faith, and it was a step of boldness. Uh, that's the word initiative for me. When you think about chapter 14, it really starts out with this, come, let's go. Nobody told him he had to do it. It wasn't an assignment. It wasn't in the syllabus. He just said, hey, armor bearer, dude, let's go. Let's just go for it. Let's just get up and let's do I am tired of sitting over here letting them, you know, harangue us and harass us. Let's go do something about it. Let's make a difference. I wonder as you see that picture of the, the Last Supper, how many disciples were looking at the other one saying, well, when is John going to get around to doing this? Or like, really, seriously, Matthew, you're a tax collector. You're despised. If there's anybody in this crowd who ought to be on their knees asking forgiveness and washing our feet, it's you. They're all waiting for somebody else to do it. Jesus did. Leadership's really not that complicated. A lot of times it boils down to two things. One is will you take the responsibility, will you accept responsibility that it's not everybody else's problem, I see the need, and then will you take initiative? Will you do something? It may not be perfect, but if everybody else is just sitting around, do something. It's surprising how many times people end up in leadership roles simply because they raised their hand and said, if nobody else will do it, I will. That's how I ended up here. Like, I, I didn't have a 30-year strategic plan to become a college president, right? You know, you map it all out, like, then you do this, and then you do that, and then you do this. No, not at all. It was very much, my life has been a story of God opening doors and Sherry and I praying and saying, should we go through this door or not? Okay. And, and never knowing all that God would do. Uh, 
I think about New Hope. We flew on an airplane all the way out to a little town in Williston, North Dakota, a town where the, you know, the, the town had grown from 18,000 down to 13,000. That's not the right direction. Just in case you're not good with math, that's not the right direction. There was a, about every third house had a for sale sign up. People had left. Marriages had broken up. There, were, there was all kinds of issues in that town through the oil boom and bust cycle. And uh, we, were, we were like, do we go here? And, and we went to a church and the last pastor had left and there were people who weren't happy with them. And like, well, if they didn't like them, they probably won't like us. Do we go? And yet having this sense that God was asking us to take a step of faith. The only time we'd ever been to North Dakota was that one weekend visit. We didn't know anybody out there. And, and we were literally 30 some hour drive away from our closest relative. And yet we came home from that with this, with this growing sense. God is asking us to take a step of faith. Will you do it? And here's what we, I heard, I think Sherry heard something like this. It was, I'm going to do something there, and the only question is, will you get to be part of it or not? Because it's God who does it, right? It's God who does it. The only question is, is he going to get to use you, or is he going to have to look for somebody else? That's how I ended up here. All the qualified people, five years ago, six years ago, when this, who was on that search committee way back at when? Yes, Debbie, Mrs. Benson was on the search. I mean, all the, qualified, all the people with all the academic credentials and all the experiences and all those things, they were invited, right? You, you asked the, the, the usual suspects. Here's the people to ask. So you go down through that list and person after person said, no, 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 no. Now I get a phone call. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? It was on February the 14th, I think, on a Sunday night, like at 8 o'clock at night. I'm like, what is this? It was Dr. Buckingham saying, we don't have any candidates. <laughs> That's what I did, too. <laughs> I was like, ha, 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 what's that mean? <laughs> Nobody else wants a job right now. Would you be willing? And that was all. Would you be willing? And I'm glad I said yes. Because five of the best years of my life came because I was willing to say yes. See, boldness doesn't mean, you know, trumpet blasts and, and you know, people waving up pom-poms. It, there's sometimes those are really quiet moments. You're on a phone and someone says, would you consider coming to our church to be our youth pastor? Or would you be on this team? Or would you come to our mission field? And you whisper a prayer and you breathe hard and deep and then you say Yes. It wasn't the armor bearer's idea, but I love that he's in the story, right? Uh, because I don't think anything great ever happens alone. Uh, Jonathan, if, if your dream is so small that you can accomplish it by yourself, dream bigger, okay? Dream bigger. Because the kind of things that God wants to do always involves partnership. It always involves people coming alongside one another. I want to say thank you. I, I just want to stop right in this point and just say thank you for the incredible partnership of the people who make up Kingswood. When I came, there were students who'd been here for three years, and, and they'd been through two presidents, and I was the next guy. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing here? And, and they welcomed us. They could have made it awkward. They could have made us feel uncomfortable, but they really embraced us. For faculty and staff who'd served here, some of them have been here, I mean, almost all of their adult lives, Mrs. Benson. They have been part of this campus. And, and they could have said, oh, great, one more person to have to work with to get used to all this craziness. And they could have just, you know, held you at arm's length and just said, well, you do the best you can, but I've got my own stuff over here. But they didn't. There wasn't anybody. I never felt that from anybody. Uh, from the academic dean office, uh, through the faculty, through the staff, through the finance office, through operations, through student life, through recruitment, through missions teams, everybody stepped up. 
And I'm so grateful for those kind of partners. It was true for students. It was true for staff. You know, a lot of times there are people who get the publicity. Like I, have, I couldn't ask for four people that I've had the privilege of working with for five years. I couldn't ask for four better people. I got to work with Dean Saban. I got to work with Ivan Graham. I got to work with Scott Rhino and David Smith. And we met time and time again, 828. Anybody know about our 828 meetings? Romans 828 says what? In all things, God's at work for the good of those who love him, who call according to his purpose. At 828... When I'm on campus, we get together. And when we do, we talk about what's going on, catch each other up, but then we never leave that room without praying because it's not about us. It's about him. It's what he wants to do. So I'm incredibly grateful for these folks. But you see their names and pictures everywhere. I, I tell you the people that just blow me away, the people that just blow me away. Uh, Mrs. Benson does. Uh, what she has done, how he, she has served, she knows about everything. I mean, if, if everybody else, if we all just kind of went on vacation, I think Mrs. Vincent could almost run the campus by herself. But uh, she's just amazing. And, and Dr. Starks is like that. Um, some of you have had her in a classroom. Not a lot of you have, though. And Dr. Starks is an incredibly brilliant, capable leader. And she makes it possible for things to happen on this campus that we couldn't do without her. And yet, you know, you don't a lot of times see her up making big speeches. And her, I don't know if your pictures in a lot of the brochures, Dr. Starks, but... I just know after being here five years, it, would, it just wouldn't happen without Dr. Starks. I'm incredibly grateful. Uh, Randy Forbes. I don't know if Randy's even here, but uh, Randy and, and Tyler's jumped on board this year. Did Tyler like pick the worst snowplow weather ever to join the team? <laughs> it's like, what's up with that? But Tyler's just an amazing job. And, and the way that Randy embraced this as ministry, it's not just like, oh, here's a job. Randy's a pastor. His first love is, is pastoring and caring for people. And if you ever need someone to pray for you and you see him buzzing around, just, just stop him and say, Pastor Randy, would you pray for me? Because nothing brings him greater joy. Um, but I'll probably never escape the reality that, that we, we just wouldn't be the campus we are without somebody that hardly, you can't even get him to come out of the kitchen right, just to thank him. He, he just kind of hides there. But, but Greg Mann, uh, I'll never forget my first year as I was interviewing students. And by the way, if you're a freshman and you didn't get interviewed, it was not our fault. We did ask you, right? <laughs> but I'd love to talk to you still. I still got a couple of days. Uh, but, but I asked the seniors, I said, who's had the greatest impact on your life spiritually since you've been on campus? And I had my suspects, like I thought it'd be this person or that person, and, and, and many of those names were mentioned. But the name that kept coming up that blew me away was Greg Mann. I said, no, he's been a friend, but like, who's had the greatest spiritual impact on your life? Greg Mann. Greg Mann. Because we can preach about servant leadership, and we can do scripture readings and live demonstrations, you know, of foot washing, but Greg gets it. So if you're ever like, not sure what the servant leadership looks like, go over and volunteer for a day and, and just shadow Greg and see the way he loves and cares for people. See, I don't know. Maybe you will be on the platform someday. We've got people who attended this campus. I mean, they, they, worked, they sat in Stairs Hall. They slept in Ingersoll dorm. And today they pastor a church of 14,000 people. And that may happen for you. Uh, and I'm good with that. <laughs> I'll, let me know. I'll, let, come visit. <laughs> I want to go. That'd be great. There will be some of you that you had the greatest plans and ambitions and four years in, you get your degree and, and the door that you dreamed about just doesn't seem to open and you end up somewhere doing something you never anticipated and you're like, God, really? But if you'll have that John 13 heart that these guys model so well this morning and if you'll be willing to be bold enough to take initiative and if you'll find somebody to partner with you, it's amazing 
It's amazing what can get done. Real quickly, just here's their seven points. I'm not going to preach them because I've got to be done. I'm already over time. But here it is in boldness. First of all, initiative. Uh, remember that I love, uh, we bought a zoo. Anybody remember that? We bought a zoo. And what does he say? Sometimes it just takes 20, 20 seconds, right, of courage. Just go for it. Just go for it. Uh, in this case, it's not just courage. It's, it's faith-filled, Holy Spirit-inspired boldness. Initiative based in faith in God and in partnership with like-hearted believers who listen for God's direction and seize the moment will win a victory unprecedented and encourage others to be bold. Those are the seven points. And if you go down through this, he took the initiative. He said, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. That's faith. He had a partner in his, his armor who said, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, let's go for it. And they listened for sign. He said, if they, if they say, come on up to us, that will be the sign that God has given. And Dr. Elliot, thank you for reminding us. We've just got to listen because God will speak if we listen. And when God speaks, we can move forward with boldness. And then it says, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet, his armor bearer with them. And two guys took on 20 in a space about the size of this auditorium. I mean, I don't know. Some of you guys like those, those movies, like 300 and some of those kind of gladiator and stuff. I'm just seeing gladiator, right? Two guys and 20 guys, and God gives them victory that day. Uh, but more impressive than that is the fact that there were all of the kinds of people who were sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. There was Saul back in the camp saying, well, the weather's not right. No, not just yet. I took a, I took a poll. I don't think the public opinion poll's in favor. No, we've got to hold back. And there are other people who step up and do something. And the people who do something, they may get criticized but they're the ones who change history. And Jonathan and his armor bearer that day, when they beat those 20 people, it just sends a panic and God does something to stir up the whole enemy army, off they go running. And I love the fact it says, did you hear that little line that says at the end? When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country, <laughs> do you know in every organization there are people hiding in the hill country? There are people sitting on the sidelines. There are people who are just waiting for somebody else to do something. The exciting thing is this, gang, if you will lead. Lead doesn't mean a title. Lead doesn't mean a paycheck. Lead means take responsibility and take initiative to say, God, what do you want to happen here and what can I do to get the ball rolling? What can I do to start things? Because if you'll start it, whether it's a prayer movement in the dormitory or it's a servant evangelism, practical outreach thing in the community, if you'll start it, guess what? There are lots of other people. Sometimes it may only be one other at first, but there are other people standing by who say, God, this is our moment, too. We want in on what God's doing. Well, I'm excited for the future here. I got to tell you, I couldn't be more thrilled that God raised up Dr. Lennox for such a time as this. I want you to love him. Even now, pray for uh, Steve and Eileen. They are phenomenal, fantastic people. I, I sat there about where JJ is, and when Dr. Lennox was standing here and just kind of talking a little bit about his vision, I, literally, I just had tears streaming down my face. I could just see how God so divinely orchestrated this, how God put the pieces together. I told someone the illustration one time. I said, I, I feel like uh, the middle reliever. Anybody here play baseball? Baseball? Oh, back there, two hands, three. Okay, baseball. Um, it's a Canadian crowd, sorry. Uh, in baseball, there's a starting pitcher, and they're the one that get paid all the money, and they're amazing. I mean, they've got all the, the, the pitches that twist and turn and up and down and speed, and they start, and they're just throwing, and it's amazing. They, they take off, and, and they do a great job, and then something can happen. Doesn't always, but sometimes they throw a pitch so hard that their arm comes out of its socket, <laughs> or they, they strain a muscle, and then they've got to go sit down. I mean, that's it. And 
and then there's what they call closers. There's these people who have like this incredible like 100 mile an hour fastball or they've got some crazy spinner ball, you know, curve thing that they can do that people just can't hit. But it takes them a while to wind up. And when, when a person's arm gets blown out fast, that person in the bullpen's not ready yet. So what do they do? They find a person who's not good enough to be a starting pitcher and not good enough to be the champion who wins the game. But for a couple of innings, they hold the players on base to get that arm ready. And I really feel like uh, the, the picture that God gave me when we came here is that God had called us to be the middle relievers. My friend and hero, Dr. Dave Metter, served here brilliantly for 19 years. And there were some things at the end that didn't go the way he wanted or the way that other people wanted. And, and it was an, I wish it could have happened and, and ended you know, with roses and, and, and smiles. It didn't. It was a tough way to end. I felt like Dave kind of threw his arm out, just throwing hard pitches and doing the best he could. And I knew there was somewhere out there, there's a Dr. Steve Lennox. God, there's got to be somebody who, who loves the college, who's done the PhD, who's written comments. There's got to be somebody who loves the church and who would give the rest of their life to this mission. But there, there's not anybody right now. Well, well, then I will. I want to thank you for the privilege. I want to thank you for the privilege of coming alongside you for a couple of innings and being a middle reliever. And God's doing some great stuff. The most exciting thing I'm praying for is that we're going to see this campus filled. You know what? Filling this campus is not up to Dr. Rhino or Scott Rhino or Reverend Rhino's office. Ultimately, you're the ones who know students like you who really have a heart for God and need a place like this where they could be encouraged and trained. You could do more to impact enrollment next year than anybody. If you stop and thought, Lord, who are the two or three students from my high school or people I want on mission trips that are just not quite sure, like they haven't decided what to do next for college, uh, you, you could make as much difference as anybody. And I'd love to see this place just jam-packed full next few years. God's just going to raise that tide because it's just going to be fun. What God's got in store, but hey, whether you're here or you're in the field this summer doing your internship or you're taking your first job, let me just encourage you, as Dr. Elliot prayed so eloquently, be bold. The righteous are as bold as lions.